This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. I'm telling you, it goes back to the people. We are humans. We are humans with problems, with opportunities, with challenges. Whether it's in your personal life or in your B2B corporate life. And by having the right experience, that's something that we're prioritizing building at PeopleAI. How do we make each of the touch points a way that it really makes your life easier? Isn't it amazing when you find what you were looking for? We now have the technology. We have the artificial intelligence to be able to tell what is it that you're looking for. So let's build experiences, again, being customer-centric because people buy from people. And we're just people trying to do the best every day. In the midst of rapid AI integration and an outpouring of exciting new technologies, are some CMOs losing sight of marketing's human element? Our guest today insists that to be successful, marketers first need to make that people connection. Today, we're pleased to welcome Mariana Kogan, the CMO of the revenue operations and intelligence platform, People AI. Drawing from her years of international marketing experience, Mariana joins us to explain what CMOs need to do to really prioritize and maximize their time at a company and how best to really connect with the customer. Mariana also recounts her formative years in Mexico and Japan, describing how both cultures have heavily influenced her outlook on business and life. Mariana, it's good to see you um, again, by the way, in this, in this short this short timeline that we're living in. It's good to see you. Um, where are you in the world today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, um, joining you. Mm -hmm. Super excited to be talking with you, Jeremy, today. I am actually in Chicago today. Okay, Chicago. Are you there on a, a business trip or are you a personal trip? No, it's business. Really exciting. I'm doing a co-presentation on that super pipeline printing machine. So I'm in Chicago today and then I'm flying today to uh, Austin after here. Tell us about the super pipeline printing machine, because I think everyone would agree that's a great place to start. Awesome. Awesome. So as you you know, might know, I, um, I used to work for uh, PTC, a very large um, software company. And back in 2019, um, I could see that the, the world was changing. We were really moving into this new world, digital first, and everything had to be faster. So the GTM, you know, structure wasn't really there, um, you know, to be uh, to be helping us. So I needed to solve for three problems. I was casting the nets too wide, which really means that you're wasting resources. Then we didn't have account intelligence, which really meant that we were kind of going, you know, blind into life. And we were not customer-centric. We were really asking people to fill in a form and we will call them tomorrow. So that's a no, no, no. So went to buy three phenomenal technologies, as you know, People AI, Six Sense and Drift. And with that, built a pipeline printing machine because literally 
We got it up and running. I bought the three technologies on the same day. Big splash on what I wanted to do. And within, from implementation, within four or five months, we had delivered $20 million in pipeline in one business um, unit. Wow. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. So you purchased the the license to Six Sense, Drift, and what was the other one? People AI, where I now work. And pe- okay, and people that your company. So you basically yeah, that's how I moved. That's how amazing the pipeline printer machine is that I ended up moving to work for people. AI. Wow. So you put together, you basically put together a strategy using those all three of those platforms essentially. Exactly. It wow. was pretty much the digital transformation. I know it's a word that we sometimes use a little bit too much, but digital transformation is using technology to solve problems. Mm. And I wanted to produce much more pipeline in a world that is digital first, where, as we all know, especially in the B2B space in complex deals, the buying group is getting bigger by the day. Mm-hmm. There are more mm-hmm. people that have to say yes. Yep. And they don't really want to be talking with you all the time. So rather than being guessing, think about it, marketing and, and sales, we're always guessing and building extra things. Well, let's transform it get that data in place so that you can really start building that super, super path to cash. And with that, we went to improve, you know, efficiency, productivity, the sales teams were producing more because by now you have them very concentrated on what is it that they should be doing. You're mm-hmm. telling them how to do things in the best way. Just think about it. Um, sports people, they become the best. I mean, Tom Brady, you know, because they have the data. They know what is that ideal um, feeding, sleeping, training, uh, massage, like all these different components so that they fine tune everything and you go and you win the Super Bowl. The same thing is what I wanted to do with marketing. And that's, wow. you know, I tend to talk about this topic quite, quite frequently, building a pipeline machine because you have the data, you know, the perfect path, you succeed. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I know there's I know there's layers and levels to where we could go to talk about that and I am just I'm fascinated by that approach from, you know, an executive who also who ABM is such a big part of our, you know, approach and strategy as well. And to your point, you know, these these, you know, very interesting B2B buyers are you know, there's groups of them. There's there they work in silos. They they collaborate somewhat, but you're, I mean, the process is so interesting and being creative and the length of the amount of conversations and the value along the way to get to you know a high six or seven figure deal or larger is really interesting. So I I definitely I can appreciate that and I want to I want to back up a little bit because there's something that I know. Some people will certainly be curious about is okay. Well, who who is Mariana? Like, who is this? Who is this human being? And what I know of you, and I'm curious about this, as you were you were born in Mexico City, right? Born in Mexico City. Then at age eight, you went to your dear mom and you said, "Mom, there's a Japanese school here that I want to go to. So I want to go to this Japanese school." Your mom said yes, and then you studied at this school till you were 18 years old. Then you move to Japan to study, study economics and study. So that's that, you know, two sentences is just so interesting to me. But let's start at the first part, which is 
okay, you're in Mexico City. That's not, you know, super unusual, but the whole Japanese school, you know, down the road, what was that about? What, did you get exposed to some Japanese culture and you were drawn into that world? Why that school? Why did you stay till 18? I'd love to hear the story here. It's a, it's a really unusual story. First of all, I have to say that I have the most amazing mother on the face of the earth. Clearly. You know, she's a mathematician, uh, relatively unusual, you know, in, in her times. And I used to go to a Montessori school. And one day, yes, I told my, you know, my mom that um, I had learned everything that I could learn at the Montessori school. So it was time to go to a Japanese school. As you can tell by now, from your previous question on the pipeline printer machine and this one, I like doing unusual things. I like that sense of uh, being able to do what people think that is not possible. And I think at an early age, it was that going to Japanese school. I loved it. I have a passion for Japanese um, language, for Japanese characters. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I read recently in a book that says that, you know, how to get to success. And and it's about pursuing that thing that you're passionate about. So I was passionate about Japanese language. So I stayed, you know, 10 years in, in Japanese school in Mexico City. I used to go to Japanese extra lessons on a Saturday at 8 a.m. because I had a passion for it. So I didn't really see it as a, as a sacrifice. Um, so by the time that I finished high school, all what I wanted was to go and live in Japan. That was like the center of my existence. And I, I, you know, I got a job with the Mexican embassy in Tokyo. I was going to be there for a year working for the embassy and studying wow. Japanese. Smart. And um, I loved the, the place. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was different. It was difficult in, in certain areas. But I have a passion for doing things that nobody has done before. Um, so uh, it was time to go to school. Um, I applied to to a university in Japan, and it's kind of the rest is history. Wow. Okay. So, what sparked the passion the, to, for for Jap Japanese culture and Japanese language? Like, what was the initial thing that got your attention at eight years old or before that? I think it's the writing. Okay. Interesting. The writing is absolutely beautiful because it's got this combination. It's it's beautiful. I mean, you've seen all those different drawings with the characters. Mm -hmm. they're, they're very beautiful. But at the same time, they have a, a very logical way of formation. One side provides mm -hmm. the way you read it. One side mm -hmm. is the, the drawing that looks like a tree, looks like a woman. Um, so I like that since I was at a very young age. That combination of beautiful but almost data-driven, if you want to call it that way, mm -hmm. very structured, I, I just had a passion for that combination. Wow. So what was it like for you you know, coming from the culture of Mexico City, you know, and and, and being a woman and then going into a cult, the culture of, of, of Japan, which did you did you see lots of similarities like, oh, this is like or was it completely different? And how did you kind of assimilate? Because the culture, of course, in, you know, in South America, in, in Mexico, I mean, it's there's a clear culture there, especially with women and mothers. And so now stepping into this almost entrepreneurial world where you're leaving home and going into study and live there in a totally different culture and the way that women are. And so what was that like for you? On one hand, it was the fact that I grew up in a, in a Japanese school since I'm eight. So I'm almost like half Japanese, half Mexican, more than, more than anything else. So there was a component of familiarity. There is also a portion that 
Japanese and Spanish have the same accent. English is very different. Mm. But Japanese and Spanish actually have the same A, E, I, O, U. So it's a little bit easier from that perspective. There's a portion that is also very similar on the, you know, the, the family component, um, really prioritizing relationships. I tend to talk about the fact that I build very strong relationships with my vendors because I really, you know, believe that, you know, by being both in Mexico and in Japan, that that's that human relations. And that's what I love working for people like because it's people, you know, people buy from people. It's all about people. It's about relationships. So from that front, it was very similar to, you know, to Mexico and to my Japanese school in Mexico. But then you're touching on the second component, being a female in, in Asia, being a female in Japan. It's a challenging, yes. It's, uh, you know, things have changed in, in a huge way. But, you know, back in the day, it was still a very male, you know, male-centric, um, you know, society. But again, I had the advantage of like, A, I like doing the things that nobody has ever done. So rather than thinking about, oh my God, it's daunting. I'm the only one. Everything is different. It was like, what if I took it to my advantage? I can speak Japanese, almost like a Japanese, which really means that I can be very Japanese when I need it. But at the same time, I'm a foreigner, so I can break the rules. When you can play that way that you can assimilate, you can understand when you have to respect the difference, but you also understand when you can push the boundaries, when it's going to be good for everybody that you take a stand because you are in a very privileged space. I've always been very lucky to have a platform because I was non-Japanese, but I spoke Japanese like a Japanese, so I could have my platform. Mm. Now, you know, and we'll talk about, you know, at some point a little bit more about diversity and inclusion, but I'm about the 1% of, you know, female Latin in the technology industry. So I have a platform that allows me to be different. Mm. And that is what creates the helping everybody to, to be like, it's okay. So in Japan, it was okay. I was a female. Yeah. And I wasn't Japanese and I don't even look a little bit Asian. <laughs> but then making the most out of the fact that it was so different. But it was different. Mm. And it's a very different culture and I love it with a passion. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, what what led you into the marketing field? Was that in Japan or was that, what was the, when did this, I always like to say, like, when did the dance of marketing begin for you? That's not a straight line because as you mentioned, I'm, a, I'm an economist. So I really started my career in uh, business development, um, investment banking. Hmm. Um, it was when I started running um I had been running a couple of companies in, in, in Japan. Then I was offered um, a job with an American software um, company. Again, you're talking about being different. This person, Daniel Johnson, phenomenal mentor and sponsor, he needed somebody to run his Latin American and Japan business. And I might be maybe, especially back in the day, the only one who could do it. So I grabbed to the wow. opportunity, uh, moved to the US. Um, then my son was born. And I'm getting into a little bit of a longer answer to your question. Sure, I, sure. Um, I quit the corporate world for a good number of years to stay at home with my son. And when I wanted to come back, I'm like, okay, I have a marketing background. Because I have been, when you run different operations, you're always responsible for marketing, business, you know, business um, development always has a component of marketing. But this is when 
the whole digital thing was starting to happen. And going back to what the way that I mentioned that I love the Japanese characters because they have that beauty for that order, digital marketing is that. It's, it's that point of intersection between having a very data mind, more operational, but then the beauty of the brand, the content, that's when everything really came together. And I started now working 100% in, in the marketing space. Mm. So what what drew you to people AI like that AI? Because to me, you could have a lot of that, a lot of different opportunities. You have a a really pretty unique skill set in that you know you can work you can work the Latin America market, you can work in you know a Japan market, certainly a U.S. market. So a lot of opportunity, I'm sure, on your plate. What what was the opportunity about people AI? I think it was a combination of things. First of all, you know, I had bought from from them as part of the digital transformation. So. From a purely technology perspective and the solution that they offer, I truly believe that is the future of how GTM is going to be run. Because as I mentioned with, you know, the, uh, the analogy that I made on the sports, you don't expect right now that a sports hero, it's going to be just kind of exercising and kind of eating. So I truly believe that from a technology perspective, they are the future of the world the data layer that that they have is just you know I, you know just amazing. So that was only from, more from a technology perspective. I, I do believe that it's it's is the future. Uh, but at the same time, when you work with a with a vendor for a good number of years, you get to really experience their vision, the mission. Um, you really get to experience you know the, the CEO Oleg is phenomenal, and I really wanted to make my move to a place that could really let me be who I am. Mm. It is pretty amazing that, you know, in, in the technology space, we have two women uh, as part of the board of directors. Um, the C-suite, you know, the CFO is also, you know, female. Um, so for me, it was that combination, that almost perfect triangle between a technology that I, I have seen how it works, I trust how it works, the vision, the mission, but then also the people that would allow me to really continue, you know, flourishing and provide that platform that it's so important to me because it's core to how I, I see the world, being able to help more people, sponsorship, mentorship. And I think that amazing combination, it's people. Yeah, I love it. Wow. Mm. Your clients put, you know, a lot of faith in your platform to help them become, you know, more efficient and obviously grow revenue. How do you help build that confidence as the CMO? That is, um, you know, that's a great question that you're asking because, you know, especially in this day and age where there's so much in the market, there's so much noise out there. There's so much content to consume. Everybody says different things. So I think it it really almost boils down to, to two components. First, really, almost like a spreading the word on that, mission and vision, because at the end of the day, when I'm talking about technology and, you know, it's a lot of the, the technology is phenomenal for that, you know, data ingestion, the filtering, the matching, uh, the prediction, the AI component, you have to trust the, the data. And in order to do that, you get into is the vision and the mission, because that's where we invest the money. When you look at people AI's, um, you know, product roadmap, we don't really prioritize as much of many of the pixels and the colors and the pretty interface. 
But we have the trust on the data we're doing because we understand that that people connection is extremely important. Then as a CMO, my role is to make sure that that's clearly communicated, that we're getting, you know, third parties to validate all the, you know, the, the data, you know, components, that we get into really good case studies. Because if you think about it, you know, as a, as a buyer, you are taking risk by investing in a technology. There is an opportunity, a promotion, career development for you, for your family. So it's a big responsibility to be able to deliver as a, as a vendor. And I think as a CMO, again, on that messaging from the vision, the vision, getting third-party validation, the case studies, like all that combination of that content, positioning, messaging, that is my responsibility so that I help my buyers to make the best decisions that they can. Mm. I love this. There was a piece that you you wrote, a, a recent Forbes piece, where you said that CMOs need to become quota-carrying leaders, accountable for delivering that like predictable pipeline of opportunities in the organizations. Can you tell us why it's so important for CMOs to do this? Absolutely. And um, it's, um, it's a piece that is controversial because normally Indeed. It's, it's very controversial. Um, because most people associate the CMO with, with the brand, you know, with, with the communications. And, and, and believe me, those parts are very important. Uh, but the challenge with the CMO's uh, role is that we cover so many disciplines. If you think about it, is the brand, is the creative, is the communication, social media, PR. And I'm just talking about one part. Then you get into everything that is demand generation, your campaigns, your events, your website, and, and so on. I could, I could line up maybe like 20, 30 different disciplines that I have to be looking after. So as an economist, I know very well that there is unlimited desires for limited resources. So it's all about the prioritization. If you don't prioritize being responsible for that contribution to the revenue, you are not going to have the time, the credibility, the support that is needed to take care of all those other things that are still important. I'm not saying that you only do demand generation and then that's it. You forget about the rest of the things. What I'm saying is that you have to prioritize because as we know now, the average is what, 25 months uh, tenure? The brand, there's going to be certain things that are just going to take a little bit longer and they're a little bit harder to measure. But if you start by really owning to that contribution, to the pipeline, to the revenue, you are going to be able to show to your board with proven results. You're going to have your, you know, your peer support. You're going to get the budget. You're going to get the, the, the support that you need to being able to do all the other things that are extremely important. You just asked me in the previous question, like how do you make sure that that people feel comfortable with the quality of the technology that PeopleAir brings to the table? And of course, you know, the branding, the messaging, the corporate campaigns, it's really important. But if you don't own that contribution to the revenue, then you're always going to want to be at the big kids table, but then not that much because it's a little bit uncomfortable to own a number. It's uncomfortable. But that by or putting the, the steps in the right order, you prioritize your efforts, 
And that's why I think that it's extremely important for CMOs to have longevity in the tenure and to be able to have a platform that allows you to help many more people, including your customers and your team, is that you need to be able to prioritize these things. Wow. I mean, you talk about, you know, uh, uh, one one way to align with sales and marketing is to have, you know, a marketing leader have a, qu- a quota carrying accountability. And, you know, I think about this age old question of sales and marketing and, you know, and how they can really work in partnership. Well, if I'm in charge of sales and you're in charge of marketing and we're both responsible for contributing to you know, we're both quota carrying, you know, executives and our teams understand that as well and add value there. That's huge. I mean, that's tremendous. Is that, has that been pretty useful in aligning, you know, marketing and sales for you? And and what other strategies are helpful when it comes to aligning marketing and sales? It's been, um, it's been phenomenal. As a matter of fact, when we present to the, to the board, I present pipeline for everybody. We don't make a differentiation mm. of what sales was marketing. We have deeper analysis, of course, separately on what tactics are working, what channels are working. But that presentation is, is done together. And I'm the one that presents that, um, that portion. We have, um, you know, a weekly interlock between sales and marketing for that strategic. It's not a place where I, we just go and present and say, hey, this is the, this is the you know, changes to the brand or this is changes to the creative or these are the events are coming up. That happens again separately. In this interlock, we look at the numbers together and we can do it. And again, why is it that I join People AI? Because it provides me that data set that clear path to success without having silo representation of the data. So both Zach Sikora, my, my partner on the, on the sales side, you know, we look at the same data. We look at the same, am I delivering on that marketing engagement? Is he delivering on the sales engagement? Where do we see gaps that maybe marketing should be having different campaigns? How do we really, you know, course correct when we have gaps? So what I would say that is almost like like three steps. The data has to be a source of truth that both parties can you know can deliver. The accountability has to be on all the on all the parties, and then the orchestration on the day to day. It's really owned by again by both both parties getting together on a weekly basis to really look mm. at pipeline together. Yeah, that's good. You have been, you know, a long, strong advocate of diversity and inclusion. And I know this is really important, especially in the climate, you know, today. Tell us about some of the great work you've done and continue to do to to promote inclusivity. And then why, you know, having diversity, especially in the C-suite, is really so essential. It is definitely by now, um, you know, a topic that, as you mentioned, I've had a passion for a long time. By now, I make it like it. I must be able to talk about it um, for every single you know thing that I that I do because it's it's really core to you know to who I am as a um, as a person. Um, I think by now we all know that more diverse companies are more innovative, and more innovative companies are more diverse because as simple as the fact that you're opening the table to different points of view. If we had continued going with the same crowd, the same opinions, you know, nothing is going to happen. I think by now, if you have gender diversity 
the likelihood of financial outperformance is 25%. And when you have ethnicity diversity, that percentage increases to 36%. So now we know that it has to be done, but it's a little bit complicated sometimes because, you know, it's just one more thing in the agenda of, of people to, um, you know, to do. So what I've been very passionate about doing is really um, sponsorship. I know we talk a lot about mentorship and it's really important. You should always have a mentor. I always recommend it to people. But my obligation is to be a sponsor, which really means that I'm going to be able to represent those who are not in the room when certain decisions need to be made. You always want to have a sponsor that talks about you when you're not there. When people are thinking about, hey, we have this amazing project, you know, it's really important, you know, it's going to be the future of the company. You want there to be somebody who says, hey, have you thought about Jeremy? Let me tell you that I work with him in this project and he accomplished everything. Well, we want to go with a person that we already know. Mm -mm. Could you please explain me why? I have shown, well, it just, let's give it a go. It's being a sponsor means that you're willing to take risk, that you're putting yourself out there and taking the responsibility of these opportunities. So that for me is something that every executive by now should be doing. Um, companies are starting to have it as a program so that it's not anymore just about, you know, a couple of executives trying. I think that everybody should have a program. You really need to work with HR. This is something that works extremely well. You know, um, as you know, when you open a, a new position, if you have 10 requirements, 15, 20 requirements, a male is going to apply if they can do five of them. A female is going to want to have the 20, otherwise she's not going to apply under any circumstances because we feel underqualified. So lower the list of the requirements on the list. So those are, you know, two things that are extremely important. And then thirdly, I think by now my obligation is really to make sure that it's not just what I do directly, but help many more executives in the space. Because, you know, as I mentioned, as a, as a female Latin, I'm part of the 1%. So it's my total obligation making sure that it's not just me, but that I really, you know, empower the rest of the executives. I have some wonderful partnerships. Uh, our COO at Harling is phenomenal at really ensuring that he's doing his part. And I think if we all do our part, it becomes a win-win scenario. It's not a favor to anybody. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win scenario because as I just mentioned, you're going to be outperforming financially. I love that. It's just like you said, the data, the data supports you, like you said, the data supports it when you have a mix of, you know, of, of diversity and, incl and inclusion, like this is, there it is. So have more of that and your organization wins, everyone wins. So let's change the the narrative around that. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. Um, as an aside, uh, Mariana, do you know Teresa Barrera, the CMO for Publis Sapient? Ah, uh, yes, yes. You know her? Okay. Cause I was, uh, as you're sharing, I'm like, if you don't know her, I want to introduce you two together because she uh, reminds me of you and just her passion around these things of being, um, you know, a Latin brilliant. You know, one of the things that I'm looking to, to do is, um, you know, the way that you have a woman in revenue and, and genius revenue, there's different groups. I really want to get revenue in Espanol, you know, because I work with a lot of very, very, um, you know, um, successful Latin, um, you know, females in the, in the space. 
um, CMO from National Instruments. You know, um, there's a lot of people who are really, really interesting that I think will be awesome. And we'll come back to talk to you a little bit more about it when, when the project starts taking a little bit of a better shape. I like this. Well, you, you mentioned another one of my favorites, Ana Viega, who shout out to uh, National Instruments. Who She's just amazing. She came on the show last, no, no, it was probably four or five months ago she came in the studio and just phenomenal. Like you, phenomenal marketing leader. Ana is phenomenal. We've been talking at length about, you know, another topic that is really interesting, the humanization of brands. Ooh. You know, in the B2B, oh yes. In the B2B space, we used to, we used to think that we sold into buildings, you know, because we were selling into companies, uh -huh. but we sell into people. We could, it's, you couldn't quite almost make that division of like during the day you're in amazon.com and netflix.com, but then you go to work and now you're okay with a fax machine because you're enterprise B2B. Mm. So with Anna, I've been doing a lot of conversations about that, that humanization because we sell into humans. It's all about the people. People buy from people. Wow. We solve problems for people. And we need to make it easier to digest the content, easier to, to learn so that everybody can make better decisions. People can, can, can get promotions. People can get excited about doing things. And it's all about that, the humanization of the brand. I love Anna. Mm. See, now you got me thinking, Mariana, I want to do a roundtable with you, Anna, and Teresa and talk about the humanization of brands. And that to me, that's a topic that could be really interesting to talk about. Plus from your each of yours perspective and view around technology and innovation and your background, we need to put a pin in this and circle back and do a round table and then probably break the internet, Mariana. We should be prepared to break the internet if we do that round table. I'm just saying. Super exciting. You count me in. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Mariana, there was an article in Forbes uh, titled, Today's Enterprises Have a Complexity Problem. Their profits, productivity, and security depend on it. And the writer writes about, you know, around the world, companies are facing a challenge with their tech stacks. As companies adopt new technologies like containers and microservices, they're left to choose to what extent these new solutions should replace existing technologies or be grafted onto previous layers in order to maintain backward compatibility. More often than not, the result is an impossibly complex patchwork of systems that is difficult to manage, maintain, and secure. The question to you, Mariana, is much of what People AI does is help reduce complexity for your clients. Why do so many companies struggle to efficiently integrate new technologies and how can they do it more successfully? I think that it boils down to two, two or three components. Number one, I think, is the fact that everybody is looking for that shiny object. And that's what has created that almost like overpurchasing of technology. You know, you see something that it looks really cool and you're like, oh my God, I want to have it. I want to have it. But many times without really thinking, what is it that is really, what is a real problem? And what is it that it's solving? Does it really make sense? Or is it just that it was easy to understand and you thought that it was really super cool and you should, you should have it? Because at the end of the day, and that kind of brings me to the second point, everything has to start with the data. One of the topics that we can discuss it at another time is when it comes something as forecasting. Do you really need an extra tool for forecasting? 
or should you have the correct data from day one that allows you not to get into a place where you have to be producing two or three excess on pipeline because two are not going to close. If you had the data, you wouldn't need an extra tool. So it's really going back to what is the core problem so that you don't try to solve almost, you know, the, the end problem, but you go to what is it that was missing. So first of all, as I mentioned, running for the shiny object. Secondly, not understanding what's at the core that is what it's missing, making sure that that data is really being, you know, properly servicing the, uh, you know, the needs that, that you have. And then thirdly, is that you really need to empower your people. You have to have the experts looking into it so that you can get into something that is really solving for productivity and not really adding layers of complexity. What I love about what People AI does is that everything is back into your CRM system. It's not one more tool that you need to be learning how to use, that you buy it and then nobody really uses it, but it's really making the most out of your CRM, especially in the GTM space. In the CRM, you're already investing. So now let's get it to work the way that it should be so you can have that command center that really puts everything together. You don't need one more piece that is working over here, but you really need that command center. And in order to get to that, you cannot be chasing after the shiny object. You have to really understand what is the core problem and you need to need train and empower your people so that you can really make the most out of it so that you start moving into that next generation of artificial intelligence that lets you run a full command center in the area that you work. Mm, love that answer. So good. Like getting back to the to the why, what's behind this? What are we really solving for? And, you know, I think it's so easy, especially in this landscape to, I mean, look at the, look at the market, the marketing tech stack. I mean, the PDF online, there's so many trails of, of, of technologies you can buy and, and it just gets bigger and bigger every day. And the use cases just grow more compelling. It's like, well, we need this thing, right? Cause it's, we have to have this thing. And I love you're just kind of pumping the brakes a bit of like, let's understand like what is really driving this and why do we need this? And I think that's just, again, it shows, yeah, an understanding of you can still move really fast by slowing by slowing down, right? You can still move really fast by slowing down. That's why I love that quote, isn't it, that says, I would have written you a shorter letter if I had had more time. Yep. And I think the same applies for technology. Writing that shorter letter takes longer, but it's going to take you faster to delivering results, especially in the current macroeconomic environment where you really have to maximize your resources, making sure that every sales rep delivers as much revenue as possible. You cannot have them jumping around, as you say, that PDF of 50 different, it's not even 50, it's what, like a thousand. Oh, so many, yeah, so many. And you have to have them in alignment with marketing so that everything comes together. And we haven't even spoken about customer success. You really need to have marketing, sales, customer success working together in a very customer-centric way. And for that, again, you cannot be chasing shiny objects. You really need to go to the core of what you're looking to solve for in a way that you're empowering your people to really make the most out of everything that you do. Mm, fantastic. Um, the next article is an Harvard Business Review article released this month. Uh, the title is, 
why AI customer journeys need more friction. The author writes about in marketing circles, friction has become synonymous with pain point. Eradicating it, conventional wisdom goes, is crucial to building a customer-centric strategy that yields competitive advantage. Um, taking a cue from policy applications of behavioral economics, marketers seek to nudge people along the customer journey and remove friction in the battle against sludge. So she goes on to make a couple of points. Good friction is a touch point along the journey to a goal that gives humans the agency and autonomy to improve choice rather than automating the humans out of decision making. The question for you, Mariana, as someone who is familiar with AI, do you agree that it requires a balance between a smooth customer journey and, and the so-called good friction, as the author describes? If so, like how do you manage that balance at People AI? It's kind of interesting that, and I think it takes us back to the point that we, we were just talking about, that shiny object. It's very easy to make these big assumptions on what's good, what's bad. But the world is not that way. There are different shades of colors. A 100% frictionless experience might work if you were maybe buying a soda in a buying machine that is it's so, so, so transactional that you really don't need any data point. By now, you just want to put your coin and get your drink. But even then, that has to be a very positive experience. So the assumption of just going into zero friction is better, no. Zero bad experiences, zero bad touch points is what it's important to remove. And we get into, from a customer you know, um, journey perspective, we're starting to get into personalization. It's not about not interacting. It's about interacting with the right content to the right person at the right time. Sending me emails about, I don't know, a CMO in a B2C PLG you know, um, you know, space, I'm not going to pay attention. Sending me a newsletter with what are the 10 trends in the B2B tech, like something that really talks to my problems, I really appreciate it. Isn't it amazing when you're looking for something and you find it? That is a good touch point. Isn't it amazing when you go into, you know, a chat bot and they provide the asset that you were looking for? That is good friction because it's actually moving you to the next step. You got the asset that you wanted. Yes, you didn't have to make a call because you're not ready. But when you want to make that call, you want to have the right friction. Somebody who answers you ASAP. We're not very patient in this day and age. So it's about the differentiation between bad friction and a good touch point that really moves you to the next step because it's personalized. It goes back, I'm telling you, it goes back to the people. We are humans. We, we are humans with problems, with opportunities, with challenges, whether it's in your personal life or in your B2B corporate life. And by having the right experience, that's something that we're prioritizing building at People AI. How do we make each of the touch points a way that it really makes your life easier? Again, isn't it amazing when you find what you were looking for? Isn't it amazing when you open your email or your LinkedIn and you get somebody with a comment that is like, oh my God, 
did they read my mind? We now have the technology. We have the artificial intelligence to be able to tell what is it that you're looking for. So let's build experiences, again, being customer-centric because people buy from people. And we're just people trying to do the best every day. So many, so many mic drop moments, Mariana, in these. I wish I had a mic drop button. I could just press mic drop, mic drop. Just so, so much value and so much gold. Who are the buyers? Like, who are your, who are your customers at People AI? We specialize on enterprise. We are the leaders in enterprise um, revenue intelligence. So I primarily sell into very large um, organizations that have very complex um, sales cycles. Um, and we primarily talk with the leaders in sales, CROs, leaders in operations, CMOs, um, anybody that is involved, a lot of the operational leaders. Uh, but it's primarily, we're currently specializing in the, uh, in the B2B um, space, in the high tech uh, component, but it's in the summer that, you know, we're going to be coming up with new um, offerings. We're starting to move into uh, manufacturing. They have big challenges like everybody else. Life science, telecos, um, we're starting to, uh, you know, expand our uh, reach. Wow. Very cool. Um, this is so awesome. Okay. You ready to get into some fun lightning round questions? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Before we get into the lightning round questions, I have to give a special shout out to our partners at Salesforce. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. So when you think about marketing and engagement together, learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We have Mariana Kogan, Chief Marketing Officer at People AI in the virtual studio. Okay, are you ready? Perfect, ready. Okay, first question. What's the last time you tried something new? 10 weeks ago, I bought a puppy, a golden retriever. Crazy oh. idea. Okay. Okay. Um, what is one life lesson you learned the hard way? Everything is going to be okay. There's no need to have cortisol running all around your body. Everything is going to be okay. I like that. What is an activity that makes you lose track of time? You know, yesterday, well, the day before yesterday, I would have seen, I would have said puzzles. I love puzzles. But yesterday um, in Chicago, um, I was at a place where they had a, a Pac-Man arcade. Oh my God, I love Pac-Man. I could have all my meetings to be doing Pac-Man all day long. I got to 20,000 points, very happy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh man. Okay, What um, if there was a book, if you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students, which book would you choose? I recently read a book that is called the Midnight Library. And it talks about not having regrets because things that you didn't do, they might not have been as amazing that you're thinking now. So just enjoy your life the way that it is and it's going to be okay. So I would say the Midnight Library. Mm, okay. Uh, what channels, high level, like what channels are working well for you? Right now, definitely, uh, you know, our website with Inbound, you know, a lot of our uh, physical events are actually performing really well. Okay. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? That's a tough question. That's a tough one. I don't know if I can choose one or the other. Let's say if you had to choose one, which would you choose? 
Oh my God, that's a really tough one. I'm guessing that I would prefer my old memories. I don't think I would enjoy not remembering my son. So okay. I would stay with the old ones. Okay. What is one thing that you are betting on for the future? It could be personally betting on this thing or professionally. What is, what is something you're betting on for the future? Augmented reality, artificial intelligence. They're really coming. They're going to continue growing. It's the, it's the way of the future. Mm, I agree. Okay, let's say tomorrow you, you, know, you fly back to, do you live in Austin? No, I'm based in Boston. You're based in Boston, but you're coming to Austin. Yes. Okay, okay. Let's say you, you arrive wherever you're arriving tomorrow and you get an email from the CEO that says, Mariana, the entire marketing team is gone. Now I need you to hire one role. What's the first role you're going to hire and why? For a company like People AI, I would say product marketing. Okay. Because a lot of your, you know, your 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 content, your your humanization is going to come from really, you know, having that that fit to the market. In a company like PTC, I would have say demand generation because you want to deliver that quota, that revenue that I mentioned before. Mm, I like it. Okay. So you see, we're seeing a lot of, you know, consumer facing brands like Wendy's and Chipotle. There's a lot of them that are, you know, exploring the potential of virtual worlds, right? The metaverse and web three and all these interesting things. What do you make of this for B2B brands? What do you make of B2B brands, you know, joining this virtual space, this virtual world, any concepts or ideas or just thoughts around that in general? I think it's going to start um, happening. Um, I even mentioned that, and that's something that we, you know, I'm looking to to finalize it from a branding and creative perspective. When I talk about that command center, being able to really have all the data in a way that we you can visualize it to make the best decisions, it's gonna have it's gonna have at some point to move to be something that might be step one, that augmented reality, and step two, we're going to start moving into much more of that that virtual space. It's going to happen in the B2B because, again, going back to that humanization, B2B is just B2H, business to humans. So I think it's it's going to continue the same path, the same trends. Mm, I love it. What is something that impresses you? People's dreams. When people have a passion, I just had a breakfast with a, with a good friend of mine here in Chicago. And, and, and I was asking her, like, how do you make things happening? You know, she's, you know, she's got a wonderful business career and children and all these different things. And she's like, well, because I have a dream and I want to make it. So I think people having a dream, I think is impressive. Mm. What is your favorite app on your phone? Okay, this one, I am going to sound a little bit old. <laughs> WhatsApp, because I love being in touch with all my friends and family, you know, around the world. So I have to say that it's my favorite one. Okay, okay. There's some other things that are super cool. What's like, what's the top, what's the top like two, three apps? WhatsApp, what's another one? What's another one that I use a lot? Of course, I fly so much that everything that is related to, uh, to fly and of course, I do a lot of, you know, things from a creative perspective. So I would say those are my, my top ones. Okay. What is one skill that you believe everybody should have? 
I would normally say that a data-driven mind, but I might say that is that that socialization component, which is kind of like, hmm. I'm saying I'm contradicting myself. <laughs> I believe that everybody should have a data-driven mindset, okay. but I think that also everybody should have that um, compassion, authenticity, that it's it's really important to, to be able to help and have a really, you know, um, fulfilling life. Okay. If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, what would it be? I am naturally an introvert, so most probably being able to talk to a lot of people, being like a super good at that small chat, but you walk into the room and you talk to everybody, that might be a skill set that I would enjoy. See, I would guess that you're really good at that. Based on this conversation, I'm like, you're, you are the, you're amazing conversation. What are you talking about? Maybe you're a very good host. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. Last question. What is one thing that you would like to do this year that you've never done before? That is, I normally answer traveling because I love traveling, but this is going to be the year that I eat better and I sleep better. I'm going to eat healthy. Okay. I join you. I join you on that. I join you. Let's do it. We should have a follow up next year and say, hey, did we really eat? Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to stay connected for sure. I already know this, but yes, we will. We'll definitely connect on that. Um, Mariana, this was an exceptional conversation. I know I speak for me and the production team that got to listen in on this conversation. Just such an interesting background, a beautiful story that you're telling with just where you've come from, what you've done, and your your passion around like this interesting intersection of technology and humans is really cool. So thank you for being here. Um, such an honor and a privilege. Mariana, have a great, fantastic rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who's going to be listening. I had an awesome time and look forward to continue the conversations. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.